0: Uh, We are kicking off a brand new series today. We are talking about awakening to the power of prayer. Uh, We've titled it this way because... I think as Christians, which the vast majority of us in this room are, perhaps all of us, we have already some awareness of the power of prayer, right? If we were to pass a microphone around the room and give everyone a chance to speak, we could probably all look back at a time where God moved in our life, or a time where God answered prayers in our life. We could probably all say, yes, I believe in the power of prayer, So so my goal with this series isn't so much to help you believe in the power of prayer, because I think you already believe in it, but my goal is to awaken you to it. In other words, I think we so often forget. We so often lose sight of it. We so often get distracted, and it kind of dims. You've probably heard that phrase, raising awareness in regards to diseases and causes and those types of things. Well, I want to raise awareness of prayer over the next few weeks. And when I say few weeks, I don't know how long exactly this series is gonna be. Right now we're targeting four weeks on prayer, but last series we targeted two and we went three, so we'll see what God does. Uh, We're gonna leave it a little open-ended. I already know the the first three weeks what we're gonna be digging through and talking through, but God may take us in other directions beyond that. Uh, But as we go through this, however long this series ends up being, my goal for you is that you would increase your understanding of how powerful prayer can actually be in your life. The famous reformer from the 16th century, Martin Luther, said this. He says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Now, he used a couple of professions that we're probably not super familiar with. I don't know how many cobblers we have in City Church. I don't think very many. Uh, I don't know how many tailors we have in City Church, right? We probably don't know a ton of people who make clothes or a ton of people who make shoes. We can modernize this. We could put it this way. As it is the business of cooks to make food, so does the business of Christians to pray. If you know anybody who cooks uh, for a living, if they stop cooking, what's going to happen? they're not going to make any more money, right? They're not going to produce anything. They're not going to move forward in their career. And Martin Luther says in the same way that you can't move forward in your profession if you don't make the thing you're supposed to make, you're not going to move forward in your faith if you don't become a person of prayer. And if we could look at each of our prayer lives today, I think most of us would say there's a gap between where our prayer life is and where we want it to be. Certainly, there's a gap between where it is and where God wants it to be, but I think for most of us, we'd honestly say, man, I wish I prayed more. I wish I had a deeper prayer life. I wish I had a more fulfilling prayer life. I wish I had a more powerful prayer life. I wish I had a prayer life that made more things happen. And So the goal over the next few weeks is that we're going to take it to the next level. That each of us is going to take a step forward in our prayer life, whatever that looks like. Corey Ten Boom, the, the famous Holocaust survivor, but, but also a person who, who saved so many lives through the Holocaust. She said this, she put this question out there. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer the, the, the thing that you rely on, the thing that you depend on? If you get in your vehicle, you're not going anywhere without the steering wheel, Right? When's the last time you used your spare tire? Hopefully not recently. Uh, Hopefully it's been a while. I honestly can't remember the last time I used my spare tire. I think it may have been uh, like 2017 when we were on our trip to the Grand Canyon. I know we had to use the spare tire. When When you get the spare tire out, what happened? Something went wrong, right? Something deviated from the plan. And for some of us as believers, that's what we use prayer as. We use prayer as the thing we run to when there's an emergency, as the thing we turn to when our original plan didn't go the direction we wanted to. But but Corey Ten Boom says, instead, let's make prayer the steering wheel. Let's make prayer the thing that determines our direction, that charts our course, the thing that we're not going anywhere without it. That's a different prayer life than most of us are experiencing right now. And I believe it's a place that God is calling and compelling each of us to be when it comes to prayer. So what we're going to do is in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at different kinds of prayers biblically. How does the Bible teach us to pray for different things? And how do each of these different things impact the world around us? Next week... We're going to look at the external impacts of prayer. What happens when we pray? How does prayer change our world, our workplace, our family, the lost? What impact does prayer make around us? But today, we're going to look internal. We're going to look at the, the effects that prayer has on the person who prays. The famed Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard said this about prayer. He says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. That there's something that actually happens to us when we pray. More modern version of this quote would come from uh, an author many of you are familiar with, a lady named Lisa Turkhust. And, and what Lisa said is this she said, The reality is, my prayers don't change God, but I am convinced that prayer changes me. Many of us can testify to this truth the impact prayer has in our own life. She says, praying boldly boots me out of the stale place of religious habit into authentic connection with God himself. What would happen if I could invite you to a place of authentic connection with God himself? How many of us in this room would say, no, I'm good? Probably not too many. I believe the vast majority of us, I believe really 100% of us who are Christians, would say, yes, I want that. Because if the Holy Spirit leaves in you, there should be something in you that leaps at the invitation to an authentic connection with God himself. So we are going to look at how do we get there? What happens when we pray? What I want to show you today, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I encourage you to take notes throughout this series, because I truly believe God's going to speak to you, is I want to show you five effects prayer has on me. Five ways that you change when you pray. And the reason I phrase it, me instead of you, is I wanna empower you to preach this to yourself. I wanna empower you as you write these notes to be able to confess this over yourself, to speak this over yourself, to access this and tap into this, not just over the next 30 minutes as we journey through this together on Sunday morning, but throughout the week that you'd be able to dive into this together. Five ways that prayer changes you, five effects that it has on you, The first one is this, prayer calms my soul. Prayer calms my soul. Uh, Even this morning, I was speaking to someone who came to first service a a little before service started, and he was sharing with me how, how there's so many people in his life who are dealing with discouragement, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. He said, man, it just seems like everywhere I look, somebody's dealing with something somebody's going through something. He said, man, there's just so much struggle right now, so much pain right now, so much uncertainty right now, so much chaos right now, and I believe that is true at any time, but I believe it's probably even more true right now than it's been at most points in history, certainly in American history. What does prayer do? Prayer calms my soul. In Philippians chapter four, it says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, everybody say every. If you look at that in the Greek, it means every. Uh, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests. To God, he says, "I don't care what you're going through. Let's let's push away from anxiety. Let's not walk in anxiety." And and when Paul's talking about this, he's not talking about clinical anxiety. They didn't even understand that was a thing back then, right? That that, that that's a thing that's emerged later on in our generation. Uh, if you've got clinical ge- anxiety, I'm not telling you, hey, you can just pray it away. I'm not telling you you've got it because you didn't pray enough. Don't hear me say that today. Uh, I believe there's absolutely a place for Christian counseling. There's absolutely a place for for medication. That there's nothing wrong with that, nothing to be ashamed of, in fact, even this week, we sent somebody in the church some information about some Christian counselors, my, my wife is actually going through counseling right now, in the past, she has been on medication for some anxiety issues, so this is not something that we're, we're shaming anybody, or pointing a finger at you, and saying, you're a failure as a Christian, because you have anxiety, that's not what we're saying, what we are saying is this, there is some anxiety that absolutely prayer is the key to, There is some anxiety that we would lose if we would choose to be people of prayer. I'm not saying all anxiety. I'm not saying all anxiety is is a failure not to pray enough. But there certainly is some that would dissipate if we would pray. Verse 7 says this after Paul tells us to pray in every situation. He says, what happens after that? He says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? It will guard your heart and it will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. All the people right now wrestling with discouragement, with disappointment, with suicide, with drug addiction, right? There's there's all kinds of stuff that's just spiking right now because of shutdowns and layoffs and and losing loved ones. And all the stuff that has come in normal life, but especially through COVID, what what happens with that? He says, man, if we'll pray, God's going to guard your heart. He's going to guard your mind that the peace of God will actually protect us from that stuff. It'll be like like a guard posted at the door and says, nope, you can't get in here. You don't have access to this heart anymore. You don't have access to this mind anymore. That God's peace would actually be posted as a sentry to your heart and your mind. How do we get there? In everything, we make our requests known to God start having frequent conversations with God we talk to him in every situation what happens when we do it begins to calm my soul we just sang this song right peace that that, that we would be called to to still this song tremble that at the name of Jesus the darkness trembles why because he calls everything to still he calls everything to calm so the first effect that prayer has on me is it calms My soul. The second effect that prayer has on me is it builds my faith. Prayer builds my faith. I believe if there's one thing that our church could be marked as, and there's a lot of things I want our church to be marked as, but if there's one thing that I believe God wants for any congregation, for any believer, is He wants us to be people of faith, right? We we, we can't see God do anything in our life if we're not people of faith. And so what does that mean? It means I want more faith. It means I want us to have more faith. It means I want you to have more faith. It means God, more importantly than me, God wants us to have more faith. And prayer builds our faith. Jesus says this very famously in Matthew 7. He says, ask and you will receive. He says, seek and you will find. He says, knock and the door will be open to you. And then he explains why. He says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So he tells us this promise if you do these things, this will be the result. Notice he says, Everyone. He doesn't say to the spiritually elite, he doesn't say to the people who've got it all together, he doesn't say to the people who've conquered their sin or destroyed their habits. He says, anyone who asks, receives. See, the enemy's gonna try to tell you that this message is for somebody else, that you're not good enough to access this, that you gotta j- clean up all this junk in your life before God's gonna listen to your prayers and answer your prayers, that you gotta get all this other stuff in under control. If only those people at church knew who you really were, they'd lose all respect for you. He's gonna try to shame you into not praying. Why? Because he knows what happens if you will. He knows the power if you'll begin to ask, if you'll begin to seek, if you'll begin to knock. He knows what's going to happen. So Jesus says, anyone. I don't care what your spiritual history looks like. I don't care where you're at in the discipleship process. I don't care how much of this you've got together. He says, anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Anyone who asks will receive. And then he illustrates the point for us. He says, which of you If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. If your kid's hungry, how many of you are are putting a rock on your kid's plate? He says, or uh, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. He says, your son asks for something good to eat, you're not going to give him something awful to eat. He says, if you then, even though you're evil... Even though you're fallen, even though you're broken, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have not because we ask not, right? Well, this is stealing from next week's message a little bit when we talk about the external effects of how God answers our prayers. But don't miss this, what happens when God answers our prayers? He builds our faith. Right? Once I see that I can trust Him, I see I can trust Him again. That's why so I saw often in the Old Testament when God moved in a certain place, they would build an altar right there. They would gather some stones, they'd put together some rocks, and they'd build a monument and say, this is what God did here. This is where God's presence was. This is how God showed up. Why? Because they knew they needed to remember. They needed to remember this is how God moved. This is how God answered prayer. This is what God did in our life because it built their faith for the next time. Most of us should be able to look back into our life and see a time where God moved where God showed up, where God did something incredible. And when times get difficult, when times begin to, to, things begin to fall apart, we need to be able to look back at those previous experiences and say, no, the same God who delivered me from that is going to deliver me from this. The same God who showed up then is going to show up today. The same God who's there for me in my past is there for me in my future because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Oftentimes, my kids pray really silly prayers, right? My five-year-old and my six-year-old, they, they pray silly things. My, my six-year-old Judah, sometimes he's praying for like a video game or, or a Lego, right? Like something really life-changing and important. And my daughter, she may pray for a specific treat or something, she likes sugar, uh, something she wants to eat. And, and oftentimes I'll come behind these silly prayers the kids are praying and I'm gonna pray right along with them that they'll get the thing that they're asking for. Not because I think it's really important that Judah gets the Lego or that Lexi gets the treat, but because I do think it's very important that they see God answers prayer because I want their faith to be built. I want them to see that God cares about the little things just like he cares about the big things and that he moves in their life. See, when we begin to pray and we begin to put things out in front of God and he actually moves, he actually answers, he actually responds, it increases my faith to see him show up the next time. When we look in the Bible, We see some crazy, audacious prayers. We see people asking God for some massive, massive stuff, and he does it. And he shows up, and he moves mightily. And the same God who did miracles back then is capable of doing miracles today. But so often our prayers are weak, and our faith is small, and we don't give him room to do incredible things. I think we should be people of audacious prayers. I think we should be people of big requests because we serve a big God. And so when we begin to make those requests to him, it builds our faith as we see God move in our lives. The third way that prayer impacts me and affects me is prayer increases my dependence on God. It increases my dependence on God. And what I mean by this really is my awareness of my dependence on God. Because the reality is I'm completely dependent on him. without God working in my life, my heart would stop beating. My lungs would stop breathing. There would be nothing that would happen. And yet, I'm oftentimes completely unaware of that, right? I don't have to go to God and ask him to make my heart beat. I don't have to go to God and ask him to make my lungs breathe. It just happens. He moves in my life and blesses me in that way. But what happens when I pray is I become more aware of that dependence, on him. I become more aware that God, I need you each and every day and each and every moment. In John 15, Jesus creates an illustration for us. One of seven times in the book of John where he makes these I am statements. I am is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the name of God. And so Jesus is declaring himself God and showing us how he is God in different ways in our life. And in John 15, he says, I am Yahweh the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. You know, God's plan for you is that you would bear much fruit. Not that you just bear a little fruit, not that you just survive. So many Christians are just in survival mentality. Let me just make it to the end. Let me just make it into heaven. But God's vision for you as a believer is that you would bear much fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, it means to reproduce, You find others who are like you, create others in the kingdom. It also means to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that you have a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that those things would be evident in your life. In other words, that somebody looking in from the outside would say, I can see evidence that Jesus is in your life. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. My wife and I have been going through uh, a, a seven-day Daniel fast. Uh, we finish up today. We finish up before the worship night tonight, and so we've been relying on fruits and, and other stuff that we don't normally eat so much of. And so, for whatever reason, I've done the Daniel fast—I don't know, ten, twelve times by this point. Uh, for whatever reason, in this Daniel fast, I have relied on grapes at a level I have not relied on ever before. Maybe because God knew this message was coming up. I don't know. Uh, but but, Melody bought a couple things of grapes, and I have just been pounding some grapes. Uh, I I think I've eaten more grapes in the last week than I've probably eaten in the last decade of my life. And, And so what happens with grapes, I'm not an agricultural person, so I couldn't tell you all the process, but somehow some farmer somewhere grows this thing on this vine cuts it off and it ends up in a bag and it makes it to Kroger. I don't know all the steps in between, but, but somehow it gets, makes it to Kroger and then makes it to our refrigerator. And you know when you go and you grab the bag of grapes, there's, there's that little vine that's still there, right? There's a little branch that it grew on. Is that, what do you do with that branch? Throw it away, right? It's worthless. Why is it worthless? Because it's disconnected from the vine, While it was connected to the vine, it could bear fruit. While it was connected to the vine, it could fulfill its purpose. While it was connected to the vine, it was alive, and it was powerful. But once it got disconnected from the vine, it no longer has any function. It no longer does anything for us. We pull the fruit off, we pull the important part off, and we discard the branch. Notice what Jesus says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now most of us could point to some non-believers and say, man, it seems like they've done some significant things. seems like they've made some some great impact on humanity, but what Jesus is saying is you will accomplish nothing of eternal significance, nothing of everlasting value apart from him. You can do a lot of things in your own human effort, but you're not going to do anything that truly matters through the perspective of heaven and the power of eternity unless you are connected to the vine. So what does he tell us to do? He says, abide in me, remain in me. I love the the older translation is abide. It's an archaic word. It's not a word that we use very often, but it carries this connotation of dwelling, that you would dwell in me. How do I dwell in Jesus? One of the best ways for me to do it is to talk to him. It's to stay connected to it and it's to, to, to have conversation with him is to build relationship with him. It's why every time somebody receives salvation here, one of the first things we do is we tell them you gotta start praying. Why? Because you're never gonna make Jesus Lord of your life. He's never gonna be in charge of your life if you don't have a relationship with him. We gotta begin to develop this habit. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. What does that do? It, it means I'm dependent on him. The reality is I'm already dependent on him, I'm just often unaware. But as I pray, I build an awareness of it. Many of you probably heard this phrase or maybe even said something like it that the older I get, the more that I learn, the more that I learn that I need to learn, right? The more that I don't know. Uh, The reality is the more that you get connected to Jesus, the more you're gonna realize you need more of Jesus. Uh, the, The closer you get to him, the more you're gonna realize there's a gap between where you are and where he's calling you to be. And you're gonna see more and more progress that you can make praying, Builds my dependence on him. It builds my need for him in my life. Fourth thing that prayer does, the fourth effect that it has on me is it transports me into the presence of God. Prayer transports me into the presence of God. What an incredible, amazing truth that this is. Prayer actually brings me into God's presence. In Hebrews chapter four, uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who were primarily and perhaps specifically of the priestly class. These were. Hebrews is by far the most theological book in the Bible. Uh, It it builds on the Old Testament and connects the Old Testament to Jesus and tells us how everything that the Jews believed was pointing to something better that was coming in Jesus. And what most Bible scholars believe is actually happening, as Hebrews is written, is that this group of priests who have come to Jesus have now suffered persecution because they're, they're not just living out their Jewish responsibilities anymore. Now they've given their life to Christ and many of them are considering just giving up on the Faith and going back to their old life. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to them and encouraging them and compelling them stay the course. Man, th- th- this is what you've grabbed a hold of. Don't miss out on what you've begun to believe. And so the author of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 12. He's building on this idea of Jesus as the high priest. If you know what the high priest was in the Old Testament, once a year the high priest would go into the temple into a special room called the Holy of Holies the room where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled, which was God's physical presence on earth. You've probably heard the the tradition that the high priest would go behind the curtain and they would actually tie a rope to the high priest's ankle uh, because if he went into the Holy of Holies with sin, if he was not completely pure, which there was a whole year's worth of rituals he had to go through to prepare for this, if he didn't prepare his heart the right way, he would actually die in the presence of God. There could be no sin in God's presence because Jesus hadn't come yet. So they tied a rope to him because they couldn't go in after him. So if he died in the presence, they'd be able to pull the rope back out. Uh, So it's a very serious thing. Very incredible honor to be the high priest. Well, The author of Hebrews says, look, we got a better high priest now, and his name is Jesus. And so this is what it says in verse 14. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our our confession. What did the high priest do? The high priest stood between God and man. The high priest went into God's presence on behalf of everyone else. So he says, you got a better high priest. you got a great high priest named Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus experienced the same temptation that we do, yet he conquered it. But here's what I really want you to see, verse 16. He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. He said, let us come to the throne of grace. Let us go into the holy of holies. Let us go into the presence of God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's he saying? He's saying your old high priest could go into the presence of God once a year on your behalf, but your new high priest dwells in the presence of God. He lives at the right hand of the Father, and he invites you in any time. This new high priest came and died for us so that we would be accepted in the presence of God. What does that mean? That means you have an invitation to the throne of God at any point, at any time, you want to take him up on it. Now, if President Biden called me next week and said, hey, Pastor Troy, we want you to come to the White House for a meeting, I guarantee you, I'd be there. I would take up any world leader on that invitation if they invited me to their table, because I would want to be able to to represent Jesus. I'd want to be able to to pray with that person. I mean, i just... I want the experience of saying I got to meet the president. Let's just be real, right? Like, I would take them up on that. Whether it was a president I loved or a president I couldn't stand, I would take any president up on that invitation. That's an honor to be in the presence of someone with such power, with such significance. And yet, someone far greater than President Biden has invited me into his presence anytime I want. At any moment, here's the great thing I don't have to hop on a plane. I don't have to wait for an invitation. I don't have to dress up. I don't have to put on some formal attire. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to wear a mask, right? None of the stuff that I might have to do if I went to visit President Biden, I don't have to do any of that. To get in the presence of God, how do I get there? I pray. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we pray, that there actually is some, some order to what God has ordained for how we're to approach him and address him, and that it ushers us in to the presence of God. But here's what you need to know. God himself, the creator, the almighty, the one who sits on the throne has invited you into his presence. That's pretty incredible. Let's take him up on his invitation. Let's take advantage of that. Number five. Fifth way that prayer affects me is prayer makes me like Jesus. It makes me like Jesus. Prayer calms my soul. It builds my faith. It increases my dependence on God. It transports me into the presence of God. And ultimately, when I'm in God's presence, it makes me like Jesus. In the book of Mark, in the first chapter, Mark doesn't mess with the birth of Jesus. Mark doesn't mess with Jesus before coming to earth. Mark just gets right to the point. He's the shortest of the gospels. He's the one that's focused on action, not on words. So he just jumps right in. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, it says this, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house where he was sleeping, and he went off to a solitary place to do what? Where he prayed. Jesus Christ. If there was ever a human that didn't need to pray, it would be Jesus, right? Like if there ever a human that's like, man, you, you, you can get away without this. You can handle this on your own. You don't need to depend on the Father. You got this. It would be Jesus. This was Jesus, by the way, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. This was Jesus who, who had the presence of God living in him. And yet, despite the fact that he was Jesus, despite the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, I need time with the Father. I need connection to the one who's in heaven. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? If Jesus needed to to make this a priority, the first thing in his day, how much more is that important for me? For me, oftentimes, my, my first time praying each day is in the shower. Uh, they, I'm pretty worthless before I get in the shower. Some people need their cup of coffee. I need hot water rushing over my body. That's, just, that's, that's what brings me to life in the mornings. And so, man, usually my first conversation with God of the day is in the shower. But don't make the mistake that I sometimes do of just using other time like that to talk to God rather than just setting aside time. Jesus set aside time to talk to the Father. He didn't just take advantage of what was easy and convenient. He set aside time to talk to the Father. But when I pray, what happens? I become more like Jesus. In fact, let me share one last quote with you as we prepare to close. E.M. Bounds said this. He says, Prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. So when we pray, it makes us godly and creates the mind of Christ in us, all this other stuff that that is characteristic of Jesus. And he says this, he says, if we really pray, we'll become more like God or else we'll just quit praying. Either we're gonna become more like Jesus or we're just gonna give up on this. Either something impactful is gonna happen on us or, or we're just gonna stop. Now I think... There's no way we can pray, truly pray, truly seek God's face without becoming like Jesus. It's what he did. We're following his example. We're following his teaching and obeying him. And there's something that happens in us. Next week, we're gonna talk about the outside stuff, the impactful stuff, the way that God shows up and makes miracles and moves mountains. And that's, I'm so excited to talk to you next week about how prayer changes things, about the impact that prayer makes externally. But I'll tell you this, even if none of that stuff happened that we're gonna talk about next week, even if prayer changed nothing in the external world, even if it did nothing to your workplace, nothing to your family, nothing to, to the lost, if all that happened from prayer was the impact that it has on you, it'd be worth it. Think of it. Let's, let's go back to that list. Put that list back up for us. The five ways that prayer affects us. Man, it calms my soul. If we had a, an army of believers walking around with a calmness in their spirit, with a soul that had been stilled, what impact would that make at a workplace? It builds your faith. If we had an army of believers whose faith was constantly increasing and constantly be, building and, and becoming greater, what would that do? To a community. It increases my dependence on God. If we had a generation of Christians who simply depended on God, what impact would that make on the world around us? It brings us into His presence, it makes us like Jesus. If we would simply pray just for the impact it has on us, set aside all the other things that prayer does, it would change the world. It would change the church. It would change a generation. It would change your family. It would change your workplace. It would change everything if we just let prayer change us. So here's my challenge for you this week. Whether you pray right now two minutes a day, or 20 minutes a day, or two hours a day. I don't know where you're at on your prayer journey. Maybe you're here, just, and honestly, you're not really praying. Maybe the only time you pray is when somebody else is like, hey, let's pray over this meal. Like, oh, yeah, let's pray, right? And that, that, that's your prayer life. Maybe you only pray when you need the spare tire, when life takes a turn the wrong direction. I don't know what your prayer life looks like today, but I'm gonna challenge you with this. Five minutes. This week, every day, I want you to pray five minutes more than what you normally do. So whatever that normal prayer life looks like, I want you to intentionally set aside five minutes that God doesn't get. Maybe that means you gotta stay up five minutes later or you gotta get up five minutes earlier. Maybe it means you gotta take five minutes where you've turned off the phone or the computer or whatever other distraction is around in your life. Maybe it means you gotta let the kids run crazy for five minutes and just hope and pray that nothing happens in the living room while you hide in the, the bedroom, right? Like, like Our situations are different. I don't know what you gotta do to find those five minutes, but I'm challenging you, five minutes, just five minutes. Now, as you pray, God may ask you for more. So I'm not asking you for more, but if he does, then listen, right? Like, respond to what God says to you. His requirement is a whole lot more than mine, but as your pastor, for seven days, I'm asking for five minutes. What does that mean? It means I'm asking you for 35 minutes this week. Now, don't wait till Saturday night and pray for 35 minutes. That's not what I'm asking for. Five minutes today, five minutes tomorrow, five minutes Tuesday, five minutes Wednesday, etc. throughout the week, five minutes that you don't normally pray. Watch the effect it has on you. Watch how God calms your soul. Watch how God builds your faith. Watch how you begin to depend on him more. One thing that I've found I'm dependent on this week is caffeine, haven't had caffeine for a week and you, you start to deprive that, you realize the dependency. Your body starts crying out for it, Right? Well, I hope and pray that you realize a dependency on Jesus this week. Man, that I need that time with him. I need that time in his presence. Five minutes a day where you get transported into God's presence that you're not taking advantage of right now. Five minutes a day that's making you more like Jesus than you are right now. We may not all be able to do ours, but we can all find five minutes. We can find five minutes we're wasting, five minutes that's not beneficial to our life, and give that to him. So I'm challenging you, and I'm not even, like, asking for volunteers. I'm just telling you you're doing it, right? I'm just drawing the line. You're part of City Church. This is what you're doing. If you don't, you're rebelling against God. Just kidding. But seriously, uh, five minutes a day, watch what happens. The impact, I believe, will be great. And, man, we're going to come back next week that much more hungry for God to speak to us on the external benefits because we've seen the internal benefits that it has on our life.